Well, good morning. Welcome to Vertical Life Church. I'm so glad that the snow is gone. Amen. I know we're not out of the woods yet. This is Michigan. It could snow all the way up into summertime. So uh, we're, we're not out of the woods yet, but at least the reprieve is nice. Um, for those of you that are new here, I see some new faces today. My name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor here at Vertical Life Church, and I just want to say welcome. We have a philosophy here. We believe everyone matters to God. Everyone. Right? doesn't matter where you come from, what you've done, you matter. So much so that Jesus died for you so that you could have a relationship with God. And it's a big deal. And so we want you to know that today. We believe that everyone that comes here is a very important person. And so if you didn't see it on your way in, we have a table in the, the lobby called the VIP table. If you didn't stop uh, by there on your way in, please do so on your way out. Fill out a connection card so that we can keep you updated with what's going on in our church. And as a gift to say thank you for coming today, they'll give you a swag bag full of some good stuff. There's a cool coffee cup in there and some other things as a way of uh, showing you appreciation for uh, being here today. Um, if you have your smartphone with you, I'm going to invite you to get that out and head on to Facebook or your favorite social media app and check in. Uh, we've been inviting um, our people to do that, just a way to start conversations with those in their sphere of influence about what God is doing here and how you can begin to tell them even in small ways about Jesus, as well as we have uh, in invitation cards at the VIP table that you can take with you to drop off when you go to the restaurant or as you're having conversations at work to invite people to what God is doing here here. And then also, I just want to encourage you to continue to pray because we're entering into a season where we're going to be raising up a junior elder, another leader in our church. And next week, the 28th, we're going to be uh, receiving recommendations from our church body on who God is calling to help us lead this church. This is an important and a very special time in the life of our church. So continue to pray this year who God would call and that God's hand of blessing would be on that individual's life. Um, but today, as we continue to our, our journey and through the Gospel of Matthew, we've called it Confessions of a Sinner, because Matthew, even though he was a disciple of Christ, he's, he's one of the big guys in the New Testament, one of the important people, he had a very disreputable job. He was a tax collector, and in the eyes of his fellow countrymen, he was viewed as a traitor, and they despised him wanted nothing to do with him. As a matter of fact, as Jesus is talking to some of the re religious leaders and even some of his followers from time to time, talking about how people treated different people in his day, he would often use tax collectors as being a description of the lowest of the low. And here Matthew, a tax collector, is chosen by God to help change the world. And so this is the confession of this sinner. This is the testimony of a man who saw God in the flesh work, miracles, do ministry, and how through one man God began a revolution in our world through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is our story. We're here in Matthew chapter 13 today. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn uh, there. The scriptures will also be on the screen. But today, I just have one question for you. Do you ever feel boxed in? Do you ever feel boxed in? When I think about being boxed in, I imagine the street performer, the mime, right? With all of his might, he performs without a word. And as he's entertaining those who are passing by, he attempts to create an illusion of another world, a world inside of a box. Now, this box is no fun for him because if it was, he wouldn't be trying to get out, right? Pushing and pushing. 
He wouldn't want to leave if it was an enjoyable place. But without fail, time and time again, as he presses against the walls, time and time again, he succumbs to the resistance of this box. He can't get out. And for many of us, this is a description of our lives. Like the mind, we feel boxed in. We feel trapped. We try to press against the walls, trying to make something budge, but it seems like there's no use. Without fail, there is no give to this box that we press against. You know, when you just have enough money saved to do what you've been planning and dreaming about, something in the house breaks or some crisis forms and there's an urgent need that you need to invest in and out of nowhere you find yourself back to the place of saving all over again. Just when one duty that has been adding a lot of stress to your life ends and you get a taste of some much needed rest, another duty finds its way at your door and you answer because when duty calls, you feel obligated to respond. And because so often we don't seem to get what we want or do what we've been dreaming about, we keep pressing up against this box, hoping one day something will give. And the more we press, the weaker we become, and the more joy in our lives gets siphoned away. Because even though we, we become more and more discontent with our lives in the box, the longer we're in the box at the same time, we become more and more numb to the hope of ever becoming free. Trapped in routine, trapped in habit, trapped in stress, trapped in consequences, trapped in mediocrity. And like the mind, we can see through the box. We see what's on the other side. We see what could be, but we feel powerless to break free because of our previous attempts have given us zero chance to step foot on the other side of the box. And so the reality for many of us today is that even though we plan to do something different with our lives, we so often don't say yes when we should say yes. We don't say no when we should say no to keep us on track. And so we end up failing to act on those plans, those dreams, those goals, those desires, because we never really committed to them in the first place. And as a result, life maintains the steady course of sameness. And when you're stuck in sameness, it makes it really hard to dream. It makes it hard to hope. It makes it hard to accept any new information that could potentially make an impact in your life. The great artist Michelangelo is accredited to saying this. He says, the greatest danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high, but that it is too low and we reach it. So why do we aim too low? Why is it our nature to aim low? Why are we okay with mediocrity? Why don't we strive for excellence in everything we do, from how hard we work to how we take care of our bodies to how we take care of our homes, our families, and even how we take care of our faith? Why do we limit ourselves? Why don't we dream dreams as big as the stars and set goals that are impossible? Well, it's because of the box. The box says no. The box says you can't. The box says, who do you think you are believing that you could do something like that? The box says you are not worthy. The box is a mental prison. And we've limited ourselves because of the box to only be able to accomplish goals and dreams based upon how we value ourselves. And sadly, we let the value of ourselves be determined by the box that is around us. 
And we've surrounded ourselves with people that limit our potential because they themselves have helped to create and insulate the box that we're in. And we can't escape. Jesus was no stranger to the box. He faced opposition in many forms, but probably one of the most internal and powerful struggles our Lord faced wasn't from the enemy, but from his very own family and his community. In Matthew chapter 13 of this gospel, beginning in verse 53, Matthew records this. It says, when Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother, and his brother James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. In one moment, in the life of our Savior, this great power and wisdom coming from Jesus is reduced to parlor tricks and foolishness. Here the Son of God, the glory of heaven, the eternal one, with unlimited potential and power, is boxed in by his family, his community, and is reduced to nothing more than an underestimated peasant that no one is willing to take seriously. They have seen and heard what he could do, but it didn't matter because of the box they placed him in. Have you ever felt in your life like you were not good enough? That no matter what you did, no matter how hard you tried, you would never be accepted from the very person or people you were trying to gain acceptance from. Well, you're not alone. Because I'm sure in this passage, Jesus is asking himself the same thing. Like, what else must I do? What else can I do to open your eyes to who I am and what you could have in me? And when that happens, when moments like this happens, when you come to this realization that you'll never be good enough, what does that do to you? It discourages you, weakens you. It makes it difficult to keep going, to keep on trying, and you lose sight of the point of why you're doing what you're doing in the first place. Why you even try to live up to other people's expectations. Why you try to keep doing what's right. And instead of looking for a way out of the box, over time you begin to accept it. Make yourself comfortable knowing life could be different, but right now it's just easier in this moment to give up hope that it ever will be different. And so the impact that we could make and the change that we could see and experience in our lives and in the lives of those around us becomes limited because of the box. And after Jesus hears what the people begin to say, what his, his brothers and sisters, his family, his community begin to say about him, he experiences their resistance, their judgments, and their discouraging remarks. He responds to them in verse 57. It says, And Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except his hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. And the powerful thing we see here isn't that their unbelief is, limits the power of Jesus to do miracles. It's not their belief that determines what Jesus has the power to do. His power is not dependent on the level of our faith. But because of the box that they put Jesus into, it limited the potential of what he could do in their lives. 
And the same is true for us. What people say and think about us doesn't change who God made us to be and didn't change what God has made us to do, but because so often we allow others to box us in, instead of rejecting the box and breaking free, we accept that box and we limit the potential we have to make a difference in this world. And because what happens when we so easily accept the box they want to put us into, we place our own box on Jesus and limit the potential that God has to make a difference in and through our lives. See, we don't need to be in anyone else's box. We need to be where God has called us to be and to be what God has called us to become and do what God has called us to do. But so often as we wrestle with the opinions and the expectations of others, we fall to their influence. And so often we're left to repeat the same cycles over and over again of old thoughts, old habits, old outcomes, things that limit our potential. Like the mime, we continue to push against the box, but without any freedom in sight. Albert Einstein said one time that we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. I love that. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. In essence, we cannot hope to free ourselves with the same negative perspectives that have led us into our own struggles in the first place. We need to do something new. The definition of innovation is the introduction of something new, a new idea, method, or device. And this is why Jesus came into our world in the first place. God, who is the author of innovation and creativity, came to transform what was old into something new. And if we want to experience change, if we want to break free from the boxes that have been built around our lives, it's going to take not just a desire for innovation, but a commitment to stay on the path of the new. See, boxes are created in the mind from experiences that we encounter, which means the very first innovation that needs to take place in you and in me has to be a new idea. It has to be born in the mind. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that we are to renew our minds each and every day. We have to fill our minds with the characteristics and descriptions that God has for us, not those that come from the world, even those from those closest to us. See, if Jesus had listened to all the negative voices in his community that he was facing in his hometown in the story, even from his own family, it could have ended his ministry. It could have been the end of our Lord's ministry because dwelling on the negative has damaging effects in our lives. According to an article in the Harvard Business Review entitled The Ideal Praise to Criticism Ratio by Jack Zenger and Joseph Folkman, they asked this question about business. It says, which is more effective in improving team performance? Using positive feedback to let people know when they're doing well or offering constructive comments to help them when they're off track? The new research suggests that this is a trick question because the answer is, which intuitively we would expect that both are important, but the real question is in what proportion? The research examined the effectiveness of 60 strategic business unit leadership teams at a large information processing company. Effectiveness was measured according to financial performance, customer satisfaction ratings, 360-degree feedback ratings from the team members. The factors that made the greatest difference between the most and least successful teams was the ratio of positive comments, like, I agree with that, or, or that's a terrific idea, versus negative comments, I don't agree with you, or you should have never considered doing that. 
that the participants made to each other. And the negative comments they point out could also include sarcastic and disparaging remarks. But the average ratio for the highest performing teams was 5.6. That is nearly six positive comments to every negative one. The medium performance teams averaged 1.9, almost twice as many positive comments than negative ones, but the average for the lowest performing teams was 0.36 to 1, almost three negative comments to every positive one. Now we know no one likes negative feedback, but they conclude in their study that a little negative feedback is an essential part of the mix because it has an ability to grab your attention, as well as negative feedback guards against complacency. And they say the research shows that it helps leaders overcome serious weaknesses. And here the key word is serious. They observed that among 50,000 or so leaders in their database, that those who received the most negative comments were the ones in absolute terms improved the most. Specifically, that the data shows that three-fourths of those receiving the lowest leadership effective scores who made an effort to improve rose on an average of 33 percentile points in their rankings that year. That is, they were able to move from the 23rd percentile, the middle of the worst, to the 56th percentile, square in the middle of the entire group. A few of the colleagues in the firm raised their eyebrows and they noted this because they were strongly in the camp that leaders should focus on their strengths. So they began to ask another question in the research, such as, how do we reconcile these seemingly contrary perspectives? And the answer was simple, that the people who get the most negative feedback have the most room to grow. It's far harder for someone in the 90th percentile already to improve so much. So clearly those benefits from the negative feedback are valuable, but they come with serious costs. They noted that if it didn't have serious costs, the amount of negative feedback that leads to high performance would be higher. And they give this example, that the negative feedback is important when we're heading over a cliff to warn us that we'd really better stop doing something horrible or to start something that we're not doing right away. But even the most well-intentioned criticism can rupture relationships, undermine self-confidence and initiative. It can change behavior, certainly, but it doesn't cause people to put forth their best effort. According to this study in the Harvard Business Review, in other words, when you only focus on the negative, you place yourself in a box of negativity. And though it can create short-term positive effects, it cannot, however, sustain positive performance. And they conclude in their study that only positive feedback can motivate people to continue doing what they're doing well, do it with more vigor, determination, and creativity. And they state that perhaps that's why we found with the vast majority of leaders who have no outstanding weaknesses that positive feedback is what motivates them to continue improvement. Now, even though this study is based on workplace and job performance, it applies to our everyday lives because as people, we tend to focus more on the negative. We have people who have positive and negative personalities, but we tend to focus more on the negative, and those with more negative personalities are going to experience a more negative outlook on their life. Not to mention, this concept is also the very foundation of the Christian faith in the gospel, because our relationship with Jesus Christ actually begins on a negative. We have to come to the realization that we are sinners. That's not very positive. That we are not good enough that we all need dramatic improvement, that God's holiness is so high, it's such a high standard to reach that none of us are able to do it. 
that compared to God, we are all subpar. We're incapable to improve on our own because of the sin in our lives. And because we're incapable to improve on our own, our destiny is hell, the punishment for our sins and our crimes against a holy, righteous God. But that reality, that negative reality, though it might motivate a person from time to time to make different choices, it ultimately is a dark and hopeless reality and futile to try to change. But that negative concept, that negative understanding is countered with the understanding that because Jesus gave his life for us on the cross, we can have new life. We don't have to live our old lives that lead to death, that are consumed by sin, that end in negativity. We can live through his resurrection, a new life that leads to abundance. Jesus in John 10.10 says, I've come to give them life, that it would be life overflowing. And even that through his sacrifice... As we focus on the positive, our relationship with God is restored. That even in this body, I still sin. In my spirit, I bear the righteousness of God because of what Christ did on the cross. And therefore, when God sees me and thinks about me, he doesn't see a wretched outcast, but he sees a blessed child. He sees a son and a daughter or a daughter that he loves. He's overjoyed with you. When he looks uh, at you, he looks forward to spending time with you. He enjoys our personalities. He's blessed with our talents, and he cares for our hearts and our emotions. He's rooting us on as we walk in faith to follow his purposes for our lives. The scripture says he sings over us songs of joy. We are beautifully and wonderfully made and empowered for a purpose. See, God doesn't have any negative thoughts towards us if we're in Christ. But his thoughts are of love, of grace, and of mercy. See, it's not the knowledge of his wrath that brings about life change. It's the knowledge of his love. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the Apostle Paul, he says this to the church of Rome. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can you see that his kindness is intended to turn us from our sin? See, God doesn't leverage the negative to change lives. He leverages the positive. The Apostle Paul also instructs the church of Philippi in Philippians 4.8, he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, he says, we're to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. We're supposed to focus not on the negative, but on the positive, on the benefits that we have in Jesus. But because so many of us allow this world and the people closest to us in it to influence our thoughts, to place us in a box of negativity, we find ourselves in a state of disbelief. Disbelief that not only does God think of me that way, but that in him and through him, I can do great things. That I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So we spend our time trying to improve to the place that we're good enough for his love. Or that he'd be willing to do great things through us because we're working from a place of negativity and it's self-defeating. We'll have a con constant negative outlook on our relationship with God and our unworthiness. But in Jesus, we become worthy. You see, a boxed-in view of your life leads nowhere but to a miserable existence and a powerless faith. God has said through Jesus 
that if you are in me and I am in you, you are already there. Just go after it. Because I'm in you, I will fill the gap. I will fill the gap where you lack. I will be what you cannot be, and I will do what you cannot do. I will finish the work that I started in you. And what happens in our lives and in our faith when we begin to renew our minds with this truth, when we fix our thoughts on what is good, taking all of our thoughts captive under Christ, to think of ourselves the way God thinks of us is that we lift ourselves out of the box and we become free. And we become free emotionally. We become free spiritually. We begin to gain the confidence to begin to innovate and the boldness to create and do new things to set impossible goals and chase after them because we know and serve a God that can do the impossible through us and who's eager to do it. And there were people in Christ's day who had faith. Their faith was placed in their religion. They were so sure that they were right that they themselves created a box for their faith. They made the walls so strong that they wouldn't consider anything new. And that's ultimately why Jesus ended up on the cross. Because those who were set in their ways who weren't pushing against the box, they were trying to reinforce it, felt threatened by a man that was bringing innovation to faith in their society. Jesus, as he's finishing his teaching, his parables in Matthew 13, just before he's rejected in his hometown, he says this in verse 52. It says, And then he added, Every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. This verse troubled me this week. I had to spend some time meditating on this passage. What I believe Jesus is saying here about these men who were so confident that they knew the box that was appropriate for their faith. I believe he's saying that these men who were so sure that they had the right box for their religion is that if they would just get out from underneath their box for a moment, long enough to really see that the whole point of their faith From the very beginning, everything that their box is standing for was pointing to Jesus Christ, that if they embraced that truth, became a follower of Jesus, they would not only have the value of the old ways, but they would become innovators like Jesus, for their eyes would be open to the truth. They would have new understanding. They would see how all the dots were connected from the past to the present and then on into the future that would lead them to make real change in their lives and in the communities that they lived as the eyes were opened of other people. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the scripture says, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. Behold, a new life has begun. We're reborn. It's called being born again. But just because you are born again, you are reborn into a new life, doesn't mean you forget the old life. The old life is still there. The old life stands as a testament to what God has done in you and brought you through. See, when you became a child of God, if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, just like the teachers of religious law, you now can connect the dots to see how God is going to use what happened in the old life to do something new and amazing in the new life. And I believe God's word for us in this passage of scripture today is that the boxes we press against aren't there to keep us down, but they're there for us to overcome so that we can look back as we leave the old life and walk into the new 
and we can use our story, what we've been through, what we've experienced, what we have struggled with to show others how through Christ, we not only have overcome our struggles and our negative thoughts, but that they can overcome too. And show them that now in him, we have new perspective, that we now have true joy. We now have confidence as a son or daughter of the king, that we have a reason to keep on going. We have a reason to keep on growing in our faith. We have a reason to sing his praises, that we actually have what they've been searching for. We don't struggle with fear any longer to step out and do what God's called us to do because we know we will not fail in Jesus Christ because God is the one who does the work. We just have to be obedient and faithful to follow where he leads. We exist now as living witnesses to the power of God to change hearts and lives. But if we let others keep us boxed in, saying you can't, you won't, it's not possible, You're not gifted enough. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You don't come from the right family or the right neighborhood or the right city. And we stay planted in those environments that strengthen our boxes instead of encourage us to live as free men and women of faith. Then we are going to miss out on some of what God wants to do in our lives. We're going to miss out on some of the opportunities God has intended for us to seize. That's why the church is so important. That's why faith community is so important. I know people who think, man, I can have a relationship with God and not go to church. Well, that might be true, but the church is here for a reason. It's not just for money. The church is here to speak encouragement to your life, to to show you love and inspire hope in one another. We're not here just to listen to messages on Sunday. We're here to minister and serve to one another. We all need to help each other stay focused on the good and the positive aspects of our journey to keep us pointed to what we have in Jesus Christ, to help make it easier to overcome the negativity that we wrestle with day in and day out. The church is here to help us create a safe place where we know it's okay to be human and know that no one else in this place is without sin. And the people around you aren't going to look at you in judgment, but through concern and love for you, help you grow in your spiritual journey. This is what the church is here for. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 through 25, the word of God says this. It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You see, we all need encouragement. We all struggle with the boxes that others try to place on us and the boxes that we sometimes create for ourselves. We all struggle with doubt. We all waver in hope, in our hope and from time to time, the hope that we have in Jesus. That's why we need each other because it's human nature to respond to negative motivation and negative motivation is destructive. Even though it's human nature to respond to negative motivation, it's also human nature to thrive with positive encouragement. We thrive. And I don't know about you, but I want to thrive. I want to flourish. I want to grow. I want to be better. I want to continue on. I want God to use me in every way possible. See, God's will for you isn't that you merely improve, only to fail and give up, but that you would flourish, that you would thrive, and that you would inspire others through innovation that happens in your life.
Think about this. What would have happened in Nazareth, in that little community, if instead of putting God in a box, they let him out of the box? What if instead of closing themselves off to the possibility, they went all in with Jesus, recognizing that in and through him there is nothing that is impossible. The possible or the impossible becomes possible in Jesus. The narrative of their lives would have been drastically different. Now imagine your life and those in your sphere of influence. Imagine your life if you didn't have to press against the boxes that you've been placed into. What could your life be like if you saw yourself the way Jesus sees you? If you had the boldness and the confidence to live the way Jesus wants to live through you, imagine the ministry that you could have amongst your family and your friends, your entire sphere of influence. You see, God doesn't want the narrative of their story, the people in your life, to be the same as the town of Nazareth, where you could only do a little impact, make a little impact because of their unbelief. God's will is that none would perish, that all will come to repentance. And he's gifted you and placed you where you are in your life so that through you, the message of the kingdom can go out. But the timeline of that story, where real innovation and change happens in your sphere of influence, the narrative of that story won't begin until each of us intentionally invest in the renewing of our minds so that our hearts can be in line with his truth. When our hearts are in line with his truth, the outcome will be inspiration, innovation, and transformation. I want to close with this passage of scripture today as an encouragement to all of us about not living according to what our boxes define, but according to who we are in Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You see, God does not live in a box. You cannot box in God. He's not weakened by what we think of him or what we think of ourselves. He's able to accomplish infinitely, which means there is no end to what he can do. And it's not just infinite, but it's beyond, which means it's beyond anything we can ask or think. It's beyond anything that we can imagine that God could do. God is far capable of anything that we can comprehend. And to doubt God is an insult to his name. God's power cannot be limited, but it can be restricted by how much we trust him. How much we believe what he says. We can't box him in like the mime, but we can box him out like the defense on a basketball court. We can restrict his movement in our lives and in the lives of those around us by how much or how little faith we have. My prayer for the church today is that we as the church of Jesus Christ would capture this truth and hold tightly to it that nothing is impossible with God. 
Nothing is impossible with God and that there is nothing he can't do through you and in you if you simply trust and obey. Verse 20, read this with me. It says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray in this place. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this moment. Let's just maintain an attitude of prayer. Maybe you are here today and you're tired of pressing against the box. You're tired of pressing against the box and struggling with the opinions and expectations of other people. And that is robbing you of your joy and weakening your faith. That's you here today. I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up. And by lifting your hand up, you're confessing that I'm struggling against the box. My relationship with God is suffering as a result, and I'm tired of being weary. I'm tired of struggling with other people's expectations. Joey, pray for me today. That is me. If that's you here today, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. All around the room, thank you. Thank you. Life isn't what you thought it was going to be. You can't appreciate your blessings because of the boxes you're pressing against. That's me here today. We understand that the pathway to change is innovation. And so today we're going to do something new. For those of you that raised your hand in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to pray with me a prayer of deliverance. So if you raised your hand, I believe God is already bringing deliverance. The psalm says that he is our rescuer. He is our helper in time of need. But before he can help, we have to acknowledge our need for him. If you raised your hand today, I'd ask you to pray this prayer aloud with me to begin this renewal process in your life today. The Bible says you are already free if you believe in Jesus. You already have your miracle. Your mind just hasn't caught up with your reality yet. And so we're going to pray and we're going to believe with our hearts and we're going to allow God to bring innovation into our minds as he works in us today. And we're going to lift our souls out of these boxes that we have no business being in. If you raised your hand today, pray this aloud with me. Say, good, good Father, Lord of heaven and earth, we come to you in Jesus' name. Forgive us for doubting you and trying to manage our life on our own. We are desperate in need of you. We recognize it's in you that we find strength. Rescue us, Father, from the weight of the opinions of man. Deliver us from the lies we've believed about ourselves, our value, our purpose and replace it with your truth. Let the truth of your love and kindness towards us saturate our hearts now, dominate our hearts now, and guide our decisions every day. We are confident in who we are in Jesus. We are not defined by our past. 
We are not defined by the opinions of others. We are not limited to only what we can do in our own strength. We are free from all guilt and shame. We are destined for a great purpose. We are successful in your name. We are a bold witness. We are miracle makers and world changers. We are needed. We are valued. We are loved. And above all, we are yours. Thank you for your spirit and his work in our lives. Renew my mind, Holy Spirit, so I live, believe, and think according to who I am in Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And together we say, amen. Let's stand to our feet.